Have you ever known someone who's got ahead super fast? They've been promoted over others' heads to a top position. Their rise has been stellar, motoring past peers, reaching great heights. Now we see this in the sports field where an 18-year-old finds himself playing super rugby while his friends are struggling to make the first 15. There we go. Might recognise that rugby player as who at 18 debuted for what team? The Highlanders. Yes, according to Uncle Google. Yeah, he did play a lot for the Blues. Anyway, 18. His friends were struggling to get into the first 15 and he was playing super rugby. Wow, what a promotion. What a rise. And in entertainment, you know, you get young actors like Macaulay Culkin. What was the movie that made him famous? Home Alone. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Shot to fame. And we can name others in the public arena, but even outside the public eye, maybe in our careers, we've seen people um, being promoted way above their heads. You know, we may have worked in a hospital or a school or local or central government and some young star or someone's made it from zero to hero in double quick time. Now let me ask you another question. How many of these high flyers have gone the distance? Yeah. How many have fallen short of their potential? We see that in the sports arena, don't we? How many have crashed and burned? So in rugby, a young rugby player is exposed to an adult drinking culture. Mm. What about the young actor who has a truckload of money but then finds his family fighting and squabbling over this newfound wealth? So with this rapid rise to fortune, there comes also many pitfalls. And so it is with great interest we come to Joseph's story. For I challenge you to find a more rapid rise than this young man here. I mean, do you know of anyone who was eating prison gruel for breakfast in the morning, but by afternoon was seated on the right hand of the most powerful man in the known world? He wakes up one morning in a damp, dark cell, and afternoon, by the afternoon, he's the second most important person in the land. It's sort of like Winston Peters starting the day in prison serving an indefinite sentence. And no matter where your political allegiance lies or how delightful you find that image, imagine him waking up in prison with an indefinite sentence in the morning and by afternoon he's Deputy Prime Minister, not just of New Zealand but the United States. I mean, it's that sort of rise that we're talking about. So given that so many people fail to fire or crash and burn when rapidly promoted, what brought about Joseph's success? I mean, how did God prepare Joseph for success and not failure? What characteristic did God instill in Joseph so that when he got to the top, he would succeed? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How did God prepare Joseph And what characteristic did God instill? So we'll dive into Genesis 41. There's a couple of reasons why you can bring your Bibles um, to church, not just so that you can follow me, you know, because we do move around the Bible, but also that you can encourage others in that prayer time. And uh, so I encourage you to bring your Bible. I love to hear the pages turn when I'm preaching. Uh, If you want to encourage a preacher, bring a Bible and just let me hear this sort of thing. 
It's just music to my ears. So Genesis 41 verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up from the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. So this brings us to our first question. How did God prepare Joseph? And the answer is tied up in those first few words. When two full years had passed. Two full years since what? Two full years since he had interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. Two full years since those dreams were dramatically fulfilled and two full years since uh, Joseph was forgotten. And not only that, we can add a total of 13 years since he'd been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Adversity upon adversity had been piled up upon Joseph. Trial, tribulation and suffering. But God did not waste one moment at that time for it was by trial, tribulation and suffering that God prepared Joseph for that rapid rise to fortune. And there's two aspects I want to pick up that. The first one is from a practical point of view. Joseph needed to learn practical skills. I mean, what does a 17-year-old shepherd boy know about running a country? Imagine someone who had the skills of a shearing hand in the morning becoming prime minister in the afternoon. I mean, what polytech or university was available to Joseph to get the best administrative training that he could? Well, he went to the Polytech of the Lord, the God's University of Pain. For while Joseph was a slave to Potiphar, he learnt to run a large estate and a household. It was like going to university to do a Bachelor of Management. While he was in that household, he learnt all of the administrative skills that he would need to run a country. But that wasn't enough. I mean, that was in the private sector. He needed some training in the public sector. So he then went to prison where he learnt more administrative skills, but more in a government-type, bureaucracy-type situation. And so it's like he was going for his Masters of Management, you know? did his bachelor's at Potiphar's house and he did his Masters in prison. Thirteen years... And after 13 years, he graduated from the University of Yahweh with first-class honours and distinction, which meant that that day when he moved from prison to administrating the whole agricultural um, sector of an empire, he was prepared. He had the practical skills. He would have learnt on the job, obviously, but he had 13 years of training So he was ready to go. And that's the first way that God used trial, tribulation and suffering to prepare Joseph for that rapid rise to fortune. Now there was a second reason why he used that trouble as well. And the second was to transform Joseph's heart. I mean we've all come across highly skilled people or people in high positions who did not have good character. 
They were arrogant or bitter or manipulative. They had agendas or chips on their shoulders and things, and there were all sorts of nonsense surrounding them. And so what Joseph needed to have instilled in him was integrity, character. Remember, he was 17-year-old and he was arrogant, the brashness of youth. He told his family not once but twice that they would be all bowing down to him. And remember that coat he used to wear, that coat of many colours, that just drove his brothers to jealousy and anger. You imagine if you take that young man and you put him to be the second most powerful person in the land, you know, revengeful, hateful, bitter after all those years in prison. But no, God used those 13 years to transform him, to develop integrity and character. So that's the first way that God prepared Joseph to that rapid rise of fortune. And now, but what characteristic did God instill in Joseph? I mean, we've all known people that have gone through tough times, and some have come out better people, but some have come out broken and disillusioned and bitter. So what was the difference between Joseph and these people who have been through difficult times and come out resenting God? And it comes to the characteristic of loyalty that God instilled into Joseph, unwavering loyalty. Loyalty during the mundane and the boring and loyalty during the difficult and the tough times. And we're going to see how that's expressed in chapter 41. So we'll dive back in and we'll pick up the story. Remember, there are two dreams that the Pharaoh has. Seven fat cows are followed by seven skinny cows who eat up the first ones. Then Pharaoh wakes and is disturbed, but drifts back to sleep and has a second dream. And this time there are seven healthy ears of corn on one stalk, followed by seven thin, shriveled ears. And again, they swallow up the healthy ones. Pharaoh is greatly troubled and calls upon the court magicians to interpret his dream. And they're used to doing that, but in this case they cannot. And at last the cupbearer remembers his shortcomings and Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And now Joseph is standing before the Pharaoh. Verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, it could have been easy for Joseph to say, look, um, yes, I'm very good at interpreting dreams, and um, you know, and start to, to sort of manoeuvre this to his advantage. But no, he said, no, God gives me the interpretation. Loyalty to God. Verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So that loyalty again before Pharaoh. Uh, verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So time and time again, Joseph is showing loyalty to God, and he's doing it in the palace before the most powerful man in the known world. But Joseph has developed that over many years. Remember, 
in Potiphar's house, when he rebuffed Potiphar's wife's advances, what did he say? How can I sin against God? See, even there he was loyal to God in the face of temptation. In the prison, again, loyalty to God, where he says to the cupbearer, all interpretations belong to God. So in those 13 years, God was instilling this loyalty to God. And there's this, even this delightful image of Joseph being loyal in his family. And you say, well, what family? He's just got out of prison. Well, verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 38. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God? Even Pharaoh acknowledges this in verse 44. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am the Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. And then Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, gave her Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. And so Joseph becomes a family man. And then God blesses him with a son and then a second son. And notice in verse 51 and 52 how he shows loyalty to God and his family. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Yeah, lovely, isn't that? Lovely little glimpse into the domestic life of Joseph that he names his son out of loyalty to God. And then they are blessed with a second son, verse 52, and he names him Ephraim. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And so to equip Joseph to rise from prison to the palace and to succeed, God instilled in Joseph this loyalty that we see in the bottom of his house when he's been tempted in prison, when there's despair, in the palace before the most powerful man in the land and in his own home, we see this lovely loyalty instilled in Joseph. And after all these weeks that we've followed Joseph's story and it's been grim, it's lovely to leave him in a loving family with a wife and children. And we're going to pick up the story uh, next time and we're going to look what happens when his brothers come back on the scene and those steps of reconciliation. We're going to leave Joseph there for now and look at the implications for us. What have we learned today? What's our take home? Well, in answer to our first question, how did God prepare Joseph? It was through trial and tribulation, through suffering. And it's the same for us today. God uses difficulties to train us and to refine us. God uses these hard times to mould and to shape us. He uses them to develop integrity and character so that we become more and more like Christ. Because of the cross, no pain need be wasted because God will use that in a similar way that God used all those trials and tribulations within Joseph for God's glory. And that's why Joseph was able to say many years later, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that's why we can join with Paul in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. 
Yes, we enjoy the mountaintops and God brings those wonderful times into our lives, but God always uses the valleys for his glory. And that's a real encouragement as we look at Joseph's story and the difficulty that he went through is that because of the cross, no pain need be wasted. So that's our first take-home for today. Our second take-home is based on what characteristic did God instill in Joseph? And that's a vital question, isn't it? I mean, how are we going to last the distance? We've all known people from a few years ago, or maybe we know them now, who were bright and shining lights for Christ, but now they're faded, and we're not even sure whether they're in the kingdom of God. And we've known people that were really going hard out for God, but then they crashed and burned. And so this question of what characteristic did God instill in Joseph to help him last the distance is really important for us. And it's that loyalty, that unwavering loyalty to God. In the face of temptation, remember Potiphar's wife, Joseph was loyal. Loyal in the midst of suffering and feeling abandoned by God, remember Joseph in prison. Loyalty before the Pharaoh, before important people, maybe in the workplace or whatever context, Joseph was loyal and loyal in the family, to our children, to our spouse, to our extended family. That's our second, second take home today. God wants to instill in us a loyalty to himself. And I wish I was there. <laughs> you know, I wish I had that loyalty that Joseph had. I'm very much a work in progress. I can see how far I've come but there are times when I fall short. And so how do we develop this loyalty? You know, being unwavering in the tough times and constant in the mundane of everyday life. Well, the answer is found in the example and empowering of Christ. The example and empowering of Christ. For Jesus shows us how both to suffer and how to be loyal. And we see how he weaves this together in our New Testament reading in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's just see how he weaves the suffering and loyalty to God in the next verse or two. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And so as we fix our eyes on Christ, we will both endure the suffering and remain loyal. Christ is our example in suffering because for the joy set before him, he endured what he had to go through. His motivation was the joy of pleasing his heavenly Father, and that can be our motivation as well, the joy of pleasing God, of doing his will, of honouring his name. Christ, who brought many to salvation and defeated Satan, is our motivation and hope as we fix our eyes on him. And as we do, uh, we can endure that great opposition. I mean, we think of Calvary and all that he went through for you and I. We think of the nails through his hands and feet and being lifted up in agony. Before that, we think of his back being whipped, the punches, the spitting, the mocking. He endured that for us, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. And on the cross he cried out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Why? Because he had absolute confidence that God was working for good. 
In many ways, the words that Joseph foreshadowed this when he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, that is echoed in the cry of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. Because he knew God was working it out for his glory. The whisper of Genesis 50:20 becomes the shout on the cross on that first Good Friday. And so, we do not grow weary, we do not lose heart, but have an unwavering loyalty to he who gave everything for us. As we look to Christ with eyes of faith, the author and perfecter of our faith, it is then that he will use every trial, suffering and tribulation for his glory and he will instill in us an unwavering loyalty that is beautiful in the eyes of the Most High God. So to Christ, the Son of the living God, our Saviour, be all power and glory, honour and might as we look to him. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come.